shortly after I became a believer, I was invited to participate in a um, evangelistic outreach. And um, that means going out, uh, telling people about God and uh, God's love for them. And I was, uh, during my training time, I was told that I shouldn't tell people um, that they're going to hell. Right? Now, it's not that uh, the people who were training me didn't believe that there was a hell or that people were going to hell. They, they just said, people misinterpret the word you're going to hell as, I hate you. I want you to go to hell. Right? They take it the wrong way. Right, so, uh, and I, I I appreciate the fact we often talk about a doctor's bedside manners. Right, we we don't want the doctor to, as we walk into the office, blurt out, you know, you have cancer and you have three months to live. Right, they, we we hope the doctor will kind of bring us in and you know explain things to us, try to calm us down, perhaps before, make sure we're seated. Um, and, and so there's a truth that when we, we share the uh, gospel message, we want to be as gentle as we can. There's no reason to be uh, more offensive than you have to. But at the same time, um, we would not consider a doctor to be doing his job if he didn't tell us at all we had cancer, when we really had cancer. We, w- we would want the doctor to be honest with us and make sure that we, we know the bad news, especially if it allows us to do something about it. If uh, there's a chemo treatment, if there's a surgery, if there are things that can be done to extend our lives, uh, then it's to our benefit to know that we have cancer. And the same is true with the gospel message. Uh, there is bad news that, uh, that we are all headed to hell. That's the truth that the scripture teaches. But there's good news that God has done something about it. He has provided a way for us uh, to escape. But we need to know the bad news, uh, or we may never take that escape route that God has provided for us. So in the passage today, we will see Jesus sharing what we would consider the bad news, probably more vehemently than anywhere else uh, you can find in the scriptures. I label this message Jesus' last sermon, Jesus' last sermon. Uh, Now, it's a sermon that we've covered over the past three weeks, so we could have said it uh, last week or the week before as well. Uh, But it is, uh, as far as the scripture records, the last time, final time, Jesus is speaking to the Jews in the temple, preaching to them uh, a message uh, from God. And uh, because it is his last message to them, uh, this is the last time they will see him, it was crucial for those who have as of yet been rejecting him and not uh, receiving him as their Messiah for them to understand just how terrible uh, of a mistake that was uh, that they were making. So prepare yourself. It is, it is a tough message from that perspective, but we want to recognize that Jesus has been, over the last three years, ministering in Israel. He's been doing miracles of healing. He's been presenting himself as, as, as God's solution, uh, as God's Messiah, the one who would save them. And so really it is at the very, very end of his time with them, his last sermon, that he makes sure that there's no mistake as to the consequences of rejecting him. With that, let's turn 
to uh, Matthew chapter uh, 20, 23, I believe. <coughs> I didn't have the chapter number here, I just have the verses. But I believe it's chapter 23, and we'll read verse 29 through the end of the chapter. Matthew 23, starting verse 29. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men and scribes, some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her cheeks under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus opens with the words, Woe to you. If I counted correctly, he says it uh, seven times uh, in this chapter. The highest concentration of this phrase in all the scriptures. And um, it would basically be like me uh, turning on the fire alarm in this building. Right? It would be, you know, making loud sounds and, and, uh, and, and lights. And what's the purpose of it? Uh, the purpose of it is to alert us of danger. We need to evacuate the building. Uh, and in a sense, Jesus' use of woe in this chapter is like this fire alarm alerting people of the danger they need to change um, in order to be saved. He then calls them hypocrites, also a phrase he's used uh, before in this passage. Uh, a hypocrite, we mentioned, is one who, um, who is pretending or, or putting on a mask. Literally, uh, it comes from those who were participating in the drama uh, acts of the day where it was uh, uh, common or expected for the actors to be wearing a mask on their face. Uh, and, um, and they were wearing a mask. Uh, they were pretending to be righteous. They were pretending to be uh, spiritual. In this particular place, uh, it, they were pretending to be spiritual by uh, building the tombs of the prophets and adorning the monuments of the righteous. I had a picture. Maybe we could share that. We have uh, Christine. Christine is the man behind the curtain today. Uh, hopefully you could see 
the image, but uh, this is uh, as you would be looking from uh, the Temple Mount toward the Mount of Olives. Uh, this is what you would see. Uh, you may see a lot of gravestones, but there's also some tombs and, and monuments there. Uh, the one on the right that looks like a little bit of a pyramid uh, on top of a building uh, actually is, um, uh, is assigned to uh, Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, who we mentioned in this passage. So someone built it uh, in his honor. His body is actually not there. So technically it would be a monument rather than a tomb. But they had tombs and monuments built uh, for the prophets. And... Uh, the reason they did it is it made them look good, right? If you are willing to invest yourself to, to build these monuments and tombs for the prophets, you must be a very spiritual person. You must be a person who loves God's messengers, right? You're willing to invest yourself uh, to that great degree, to the point that 2,000 years later we can still see uh, what these people have, have built. Um, People today have different ways in which they want to uh, present themselves as good. Um, I love how the Lord provides often illustration during the week I prepare uh, for a message. Somebody posted this on uh, Nextdoor. Some of you are on Nextdoor. It's one of these social medias out there to kind of find out who's living around you. So I, I won't give the person's name, but they say, uh, Hey, everyone, I'm a returning Fremont resident was away in the East Coast for seven years and returned to the Bay before COVID hit. I advocate for hunger and homelessness and hope to find good people in here. So here's a person, and uh, it's a person who considers herself good, right? And she wants to find other good people like her, and she feels she's a good person because she advocates for homeless people. I mean, I mean, these are good things. I am not going to argue uh, and, and, and for hungry people. And that's a good thing, too. I, I'm all for, uh, you know, helping those that are in need. I mean, that's, that's what the Scripture teaches us uh, we should do. That's the love of God, uh, to, to uh, clothe the naked, uh, provide, provide home for the homeless. Um, but what's uh, notable about here is clearly she, she thinks of herself as good. She presents herself as good. She wants to find more good people. Uh, and that just describes the way we feel about ourselves. Uh, we want to think of ourselves as good. We want other people to think of ourselves as good. Uh, but the Bible says this, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Well, a faithful man would not be proclaiming their own goodness because they would realize uh, that they're sinners. Right? The truth is, and, and we'll go to great detail over it throughout the message, but that there is none good but one, right? And that is God himself. Um, but we're all, we're all trying to wear this mask now. I'm inspired by Matt uh, bringing these uh, this, this illustrations. I was going to put one as well. I don't know if uh, any of you knows who this is. Uh, Nessia can't answer the question because she knows who it is. But uh, that's, this is the way people walk around, right? They walk around with masks, right, that make them look good. At least they feel that they make them look good. And, and what Jesus is doing in this passage, and really he wants to be doing, the Holy Spirit is doing, is he wants to take off the mask. You get to see the real person, maybe not quite as handsome as the person 
as the mask was, but that's what Jesus will be doing in this passage. He, he's taking the mask off, right? And he's, he's not doing it to hurt the feelings. That's not his purpose. His purpose is for them to see their needs for him. Remember, unless they realize that they are sinners, not righteous, that need to be saved from their sins, they're not going to receive Jesus as the Messiah because that's what he came to do. They, they wanted a Messiah who would come and, uh, and fix the, the problems, get rid of the Romans, uh, you know, maybe get rid of, of poverty, of hunger, of disease. Uh, but they didn't sense that they themselves needed to be fixed. The problem was they themselves needed to be fixed. Right? They themselves were in trouble, and Jesus came to save them from that. He couldn't, as we will see, unless they're willing, and they would not be willing as long as they were wearing these masks of self-righteousness. And so that's why Jesus is taking off the masks here. The first step uh, is he, he, he uses what they're saying. So they're saying... Uh, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, uh, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. So they recognized that their fathers uh, killed God's prophets. God sent prophets in the Old Testament, uh, and the Jews had a good solution for them, and that was to kill God's prophets, because they didn't like what the prophets were telling them. And what these, these um, scribes and Pharisees were saying, if we had been there, we would not have killed the prophets, right? We're, we're good people, right? Good people love God and love God's word. And so we would not have killed those prophets. And what Jesus is doing, first of all, is it says, you're witnesses against yourself that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. What he's saying there is, look, <clears throat> you're not better than your fathers. Now, Today, we will find that, um, you know, our children look like us, and we understand that it has to do because of the genetic information inside of us. Uh, but what, what Jesus is saying, and the scripture teaches, is that it's not just physically that we look like our parents, it's also morally, right? Our parents, uh, uh, you know, sinfulness is also present in us. We have the same tendency to do evil that our parents had. Uh, today we like to um, uh, rewrite our history books. You know, we have uh, history books that were written 50 years ago, and today people take them and rewrite them, feeling that they didn't do justice to history. And uh, mostly these days, it seems to me that the revision of focusing on you know, the, the evil that the conquerors did to the conquered. So uh, pilgrims came to the United States, uh, and they took the land, and, and the Native Americans suffered in the process. And today, they will kind of bring out more of the suffering experienced by the uh, Native Americans, and, and the evil, sometimes on purpose, committed by, by not necessarily the early pilgrims, but by Europeans that came over to this country. What we don't realize is we're really exposing ourselves. We are no better than these people that came to this country and, and, and committed this evil. Uh, and maybe you don't have any European blood in you. Uh, if you do research into any other country, you will find that evil was being done. The Native Americans here 
often uh, would, would sacrifice uh, people. They were not uh, kind and gentle to the prisoners they took in war, right? They were not really better than the Europeans. Yes, they suffered uh, greatly as this country was being colonized, but uh, they were not inherently any better than the people <coughs> that were colonizing this country. And as a result, we are not better. We have the same, if you want to think about it as genetic information, think about it as genetic information. You know, we're the same as those people were. We, in our constitution, we say we hold this, this truth to be self-evident that all men are created equal. We are all equal. We're all equally sinful. Um, there was a man named uh, Bradford, um, famous in the Reformation in England uh, for his, uh, uh, his spirituality, piousness, uh, considered a very holy person. He was eventually burned at the stake for, thank you, Nessia, for holding on to the word of God and um, refusing to, to bow the knee to some of the evils being done in his day. <clears throat> and he would say, uh, when he would see a, a, a poor criminal led to execution, in those days executions were public, you were caught uh, stealing, you could be walked off the block to be hanged. <clears throat> And uh, he would say, there but for the grace of God goes John Bradford. Uh, he recognized, look, I'm no better than this person who's being executed for stealing or murdering or whatever it is they committed. Uh, it's the grace of God. I give, give God credit for protecting me from doing the same thing because I'm not inherently better uh, than that person. Uh, second evidence Jesus has used is that of... Um, of their actions. <clears throat> now Jesus is also demonstrating here his power of prophecy because this was uh, still things that would be done in the future. But he says, uh, therefore indeed I sent you prophets, wise men and scribes. You claim you're good people and you love God and you love God's uh, messengers. Well, I will test you. Right? I send you prophets Prophets would be people who would proclaim the word of God, right? God would reveal them to them, to them his message, and they would proclaim it. Um, wise men. Wise men are people who knew how to apply God's word, to know how to, to take what the prophet said and explain, you know, how, how we should apply it to our lives. Um, and scribes. Scribes are, are experts in what has been written. So scribes wouldn't be bringing a new message, but they'd be able to point out what God has written in his word before. So Jesus said, I will send uh, these to you, and this is how you will respond, which we know historically they did. Uh, some of them uh, you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city. You claim to be good people, I will test you. I will send you God's messenger, let's see what you do with them. And, and history proved that they were no better than their fathers, just like Jesus knew. Um, when I was in college, I, uh, I was uh, approached by a girl who said something kind of strange to me. She said, you'd make a really good boyfriend, uh, except that you'll probably cheat on your girlfriend. And I was kind of offended, 
you know, it's like, why would I cheat on my girlfriend, right? If I, if, I, if I choose to enter a relationship, now this is before I was saved. If I choose to enter into a relationship, uh, it's not going to be with the intention of cheating on them, right? So I wouldn't, right? I kind of felt self-righteous about that. No, I won't. And uh, a year or two later, I did exactly that. I was, I was in a relationship and I was unfaithful to the person I was in a relationship with. And, and God used that to, to convict me of my sinfulness. I realized not only did I do that once, but I can see that I will do it again. Right? Now we might say, well, cheating on a girlfriend isn't as bad as you know, killing and crucifying and scourging uh, the prophets of God, but... Um, God has a standard. My son uh, is taking a science class, and uh, his teacher gave him his homework this weekend to uh, say which, which of these are good scientific questions or scientific statements, something that science can prove or disprove. And one of them was uh, <coughs> stealing from other people is wrong. So the answer is you cannot prove that scientifically. Right? You know, that's not one of those things that science can, can uh, prove or disprove because science is amoral, right? It doesn't touch spiritual things, right? You could say, you know, uh, if you steal from someone, it'll make that person angry. That might be something you could prove scientifically. You know, you steal from enough people, you measure their responses, and you can say, statistically, I can prove stealing from someone makes them angry, but I can't prove that it's wrong, right? Now, we can say stealing is wrong. Why? Because God says so, right? God says that it is wrong. Uh, and so everything that God says wrong is wrong, and everything that God says is right is right. And really, sin should be defined by this statement. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, God has a target for us. The word sin means to miss, to miss the target. God has a target for us. And Jesus defined that target. It says it's to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, and to love our neighbor as ourselves, to love you as much as I love me, which means if I have an apple tree, I should be sharing my apples with you, right? or my figs, or anything else that I have. Why? Because I love you as much as I love me. right? And if... Uh, you know, if, if uh, we're hungry and there's not enough food, I should be splitting what I have with you, even though I might be hungry as a result of it. Right? That's God's target. And whenever we fall outside of that target, we are sinning, right? We're not doing what God wants us to do. We're not righteous. The mask comes off. You think you're a good person, but you're not. How can you tell? I don't love the Lord my God, with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind. And I don't love my neighbor as myself. That's enough, right, to prove that I am not righteous, I am not good, and I need to be concerned with what Jesus said before, right? How serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the condemnation of hell? Okay, um, 
think I had a couple of things I wanted to say about my previous point that I skipped over. Uh, but I think I will not go back. So, so let's go on. So the consequence of sin, uh, we already uh, pointed out that we're sinners. The Bible says, uh, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Uh, the Bible is equally clear that uh, that God will judge us for our sins. Revelation 20, verse 11 says, Then I saw a great white throne, and on him, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one according to his works. My uh, children are uh, very... I shouldn't say very sensitive, but you know, they're, they're, they're sensitive when one of their siblings does something that, uh, that is wrong against them. <clears throat> and they want me to do something about it. Right? So, my, one of my sons will come to me and say, you know, my brother did this. Punish him. Right? In our house, Punishing usually means you lose screen time. You know, sometimes we escalate beyond losing screen time, but that's kind of the most typical manner of uh, most most common consequence that seems to to have the most impact. Um, and uh, and I can understand, right? My son wants justice, right? Something was done to them that they believe was wrong, and they have reason to because I have applied judgment in those same cases in the past, and they know how I feel about them, and, and so they, they have reason to believe that I will give them justice in this situation. Uh, we might feel the same when somebody else does something uh, wrong against us. Uh, if someone uh, crashes into my car and damages it, uh, I expect them to pay. Uh, if somebody uh, does something malicious uh, to those I love, uh, hurts my family. Uh, I want justice. I want justice. Um, God is the great tribunal of this world. He is the one who's ultimately responsible for everything. And he's also the one who cares the most about people. We are uh, his, his children, his people, the one who created when uh, I do something to hurt you, I hurt God. To the point that David could say, after committing adultery and murder, he could say to God, against you and you only have I sinned. He realized that his sin against God was even greater than against the person he murdered and, uh, and uh, committed adultery against. And so we should not be surprised 
that God will judge the world. God will judge the world. That's what the scripture uh, teaches. And when God judges the world, uh, we won't be able to use our mask. God can see through our mask. And uh, we won't be able to say, but God, look at all the good things that we have done. Yes, we've done some wrong things. Look at all the good things. Uh, if, uh, if someone uh, murdered my daughter and then was on trial, and he would say, yes, you know, I know I did that, but look at all these homeless people that I fed. Uh, can't, can't you balance my good works with my bad works? Uh, it doesn't work in our legal system. You can't do that, and it's not going to work with God. Right? There's a target, there's a bullseye that God has very clearly defined for us in his word of what he expects us to do. And the truth is we all fall short of that. We all fall short of that bullseye. And that's why uh, it says at the end of this passage, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So there's really just one end for God's judgment, and that is everybody goes to hell. Right? Because... We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God has to be fair and righteous in his judgment. And that's the end. Uh, you notice there is an exception, and that is those uh, found written in the book of life. Which brings us to our next point. Uh, Jesus continues in the passage. And uh, he, he now turns to Jerusalem. Uh, really uh, capturing, uh, in my mind, uh, uh, Israel as a nation, because that was the capital, that was where the temple was, that's where everybody would gather uh, every feast day. And uh, he, he expressed a desire for them, in spite of the fact that they're the ones who killed the prophets and stoned those who were sent to her, he desires to gather the children together. And children really means all the people of Jerusalem. Uh, as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. Uh, I, I got an illustration of that. I've never actually seen this. I, one of the nice things about preaching is you have to prepare. And in preparing, you, you do research into these things. So uh, here's what uh, a chicken does, an actual example of this uh, a hen protecting her chicks. It's amazing. Uh, I don't. I don't think that that chicken was really a match for that dog, right? If that dog wanted uh, that chicken, it it could have probably uh, eaten that chicken. But certainly, the the little chicks would have much less of a chance against uh, the dog, and the the chicken or the hen uh, put it itself in harm's way 
it was uh, willing to to be the defense of these uh, chicks that were vulnerable uh, to the attack of the dog. And that's what Jesus is saying here is, look, this is what I want to do with you. I want to protect you as a hen would protect uh, her chicks by, by hiding them uh, under her wings. Um, the Bible describes Jesus for us in Isaiah uh, 53. It says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him uh, the iniquity of us all. So our, our danger is that of God's eternal judgment. Right? That's, that's our situation as sinners and with God as a righteous judge. And Jesus, as that hen, was willing to stand between us and God's judgment. He was willing to suffer on himself. That, that uh, hen in the, in the short movie we watched didn't pay the penalty, uh, but it was willing to. It was willing to, to stand between the chicks and the dog. And uh, I imagine if the dog would attack, uh, the chicks would probably run away and might survive. And she would have taken the brunt of that attack. Jesus was willing... Uh, Jesus did. Jesus did die on the cross uh, for you and for me. He did pay that penalty uh, for you and for me. And, um, and invites us to take protection uh, under that. Now, Jesus does say here, uh, How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you, you were not... Willing. Imagine if the uh, if as the dog came, the chicken stood its ground, but one of the chicks didn't want to hide behind the mother. Right? It wanted to run away and play. Uh, depending on what that dog wanted to do, uh, that chick would be as we call it a sitting duck. Right? It wouldn't wouldn't stand a chance against it. It, it left its protection. Uh, and so when we're not willing, Jesus is, wants to, to gather the nation of Israel, uh, but if they're not willing, he can't protect them. Just like that hen, if her chicks were not willing to, to come under her wings, that hen could not have protected them. It couldn't have protected all of them uh, from that dog. It would come between one and the dog, and that chick would run away. Right? It can't do both at the same time. Uh, in the same way... Uh, uh, Jesus cannot save us if we're not willing uh, to be saved by him. Uh, finally, we see our opportunity here. Jesus says, I See, your house is left to you desolate, for I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, so first, we want to consider the, the state of the nation of Israel. This was the end. Jesus had uh, spent three years presenting himself as, as the Messiah, inviting them to a relationship uh, with himself, and, um, and they were not willing. And he says, your house is left to you desolate. Israel enjoyed a unique relationship with God uh, of all the nations. And uh, 
the presence of God would dwell in the house, in the temple, and it was through them uh, bringing sacrifices that that relationship was, could be maintained. There was always the problem of Israel's sins, and that's why God instituted the sacrificial system where they would uh, bring animals and sacrifice them, and God, God said that the sacrifices would be like a covering. Right? And it allowed that relationship to continue, but the Bible is very clear that that was a temporary picture of what Jesus would provide uh, for the nation of Israel, what Jesus would provide for us. If they would uh, reject Jesus, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. God wasn't going to continue to accept his animal sacrifice. And as a result, the house was left to them desolate. The relationship with God was broken. Right? They no longer had that privileged position as God's people. Right? They, don't, they don't have God dwelling in their midst anymore. Right? Their house has been left uh, desolate. But Jesus is opening here a door of opportunity. For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, it's that easy. You just need to, to say the words, obviously with faith behind them. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord would basically be recognizing Jesus as God's Messiah sent to them and say, blessed is he who comes. Blessed is Jesus. He's coming in the name of the Lord. He's coming to be our Savior. That's all the nation of Israel needs to do to be restored into their relationship with God. Just say the words with faith, right? Believing. Uh, they, they wouldn't have to, to fix. They don't have to uh, pay reparations. Uh, they don't have to uh, rebuild the temple. Uh, they just need to, to receive him as the Messiah he came to be. Uh, and someone might say, well, that's too easy, right? It's got to be more complicated, got to be more difficult than that. And the answer, it's not. Uh, and it's the same for us. Uh, Romans 10 describes... Uh, what we call the righteousness, which is according to faith. Uh, Israel struggled. They were trying to be righteous by keeping the law. They were putting on this mask of righteousness, pretending to be righteous when they were not. But what is this righteousness of faith? But what does it say in verse 8, Romans 10, verse 8? But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Again, it's that easy, right? It's just words, again, accompanied by faith, right? We don't accept empty words, but uh, you don't have to fix your life. You don't have to uh, put on some mask of righteousness and try to convince God that there's something good about you he knows the truth. He knows that we're sinners. He knows that we deserve to go to hell. But he sent Jesus to be our Savior. And all we need to do is to receive him as our Savior, which is confessing with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead is simply the main sign God gave to prove that Jesus really was your Savior. He, he rose from the dead to demonstrate the fact he, he, he saved us, he came to save us from sin and death, he overcame death to prove to us that he is God's provision for us. And all, all we need to do 
as Israel is say the words in faith. It's come to him, the one whom God sent to save you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his faithfulness in, uh, in preaching the truth to the nation of Israel. It was, it was a hard message that he gave them here at the end, but it was a faithful message. They needed him uh, to be saved. And we recognize today also we all need him uh, to be saved. And we thank you that uh, he did all the work of our salvation. He died uh, for our sins on the cross and he rose uh, from the dead. And all we need to do so to speak, is, is say the words, Lord, is, is put our faith in you, confess you as Savior and Lord, and receive your, your offer of salvation. We pray for anybody here who hasn't yet trusted in you, put in you that simple trust, that you help them do so today. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.